Good morning. Wow, amazing. If we haven't met yet, my name is Chris. I am the youth pastor here at Langby Vineyard, which means I am the most hip and cool and relevant pastor here. I don't decide that. It's in the job description, so um, take it up with my boss, I guess. Um, but if this is your first time here at Langby Vineyard, we want to know that you are especially welcome. We love that you're here and with us this morning. Um, where else would you rather be than in Lisburn, Lang Valley Vineyard, at this time? Yeah. <laughs> if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been journeying through a summer series called Tales of the Kingdom, looking at the life of Jesus throughout the book of Mark, looking at what he taught and how he lived his life, portraying the life and story of the person of Jesus. Last year, I, uh, I, I lived in Seattle for a year. I know, shocker. <laughs> I don't talk about it at all. Um, <laughs> thanks, guys. And, uh, and when I was there, I, I got there in September, and the church that I went to be a part of and work at was a big church. Around 16,000 people went to it. That's more than what's here. And... Um, we, we had loads of campuses. We had four campuses over Seattle, one in LA, one in Guadalajara, in Mexico, and it was a huge, huge church. When I got there in September, people started talking about this thing called the weekend, right? And I was like, the weekend happens every week. Like, I know you're really hyped about the weekend, but like, it happens every week. And they're like, no, 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 Chris. The weekend is our massive youth conference we have in March. It is amazing. You'll experience nothing like it. You will love it. I was like, Okay, I was like, I think we're forgetting that before we get excited about weekend, Christmas is happening, you know the time when Jesus is born, we all get gifts, like we should probably get more excited about that, but they weren't really buying that. In fact, someone asked me, do you guys celebrate Christmas in Ireland? And I was like, yes, we do. <laughs> but we, we got to the weekend, a lot of excitement, a lot of hype, a lot of energy, it, like I was super excited for it. And Literally, we had thousands upon thousands of young people fly from all over the world, all over the state, that would come to this youth conference. It was one of the biggest youth conferences in all of the United States. Till this day, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen is watching literal thousands of young people raising their hands, singing their hearts out to Jesus, surrendering it all once afresh, and crying out about his love and his mercy and his grace. It was one of the most beautiful things I had ever seen. And I was volunteering at the event. So I was standing by a door at the event, and uh, the church I was part of in Seattle, we had some high-profile people that occasionally came and went. And I was standing by the door, and the, the, the countdown timer's on. We have a countdown timer here at Lang Valley Vineyard. You guys don't care about it, because it never works. So, <laughs> but it worked there, okay? When, when that countdown timer hit 10 minutes ago, everyone got excited. Like, everyone got hyped. Like, it was like, it's about to kick off. It's about to go down. This is it. That's what we've been waiting for. And just before it happened, I was standing at a door by the right-hand side of the stage, and uh, I seen these two big guys walk out from the door, and this shorter person in between them walk right past me and into the middle of the, the crowd of people. And I was like, is that who I think it is? Like, did I, did I see that? And what happened is Justin Bieber had just walked in through the doors to our youth conference, right? Any Justin Bieber fans here? <laughs> no, me either. I mean, I hear he's great. 
And uh, he, he just walked into the church, okay? Walked right into like literal thousands of young people and immediately everyone knew he had just walked in that room. Everyone turned, everyone's attention was drawn to him. Everyone started screaming, everyone started crying. I was like, this is it. He's gonna die. Like, <laughs> cause of death, teenage girls. Like, <laughs> this is crazy. And was I like screaming and crying? It's not an important detail of the story. <laughs> so we don't need to talk about it. But it was crazy. I have never seen a room's attention shift like it. I've never seen a magnitude of people literally immediately shift their attention to one person. As we pick up our story in Mark, Jesus is walking through town to town, place to place, village to village, and he is beginning to gain momentum. His popularity is growing and growing and growing, and he's drawing a crowd, a huge, huge crowd. And do not be deceived, he's not gaining a crowd because of his popularity or because of his status, but he's actually gaining a crowd because of what he taught and what he did. People are drawn to this individual, what he said and what he did. He began to introduce this concept, this idea of the kingdom of God. He's beginning to articulate it in vision, but also equally in practice. He's not just talking about it, but he's literally demonstrating it before the crowd's very eyes. And he's using these things called parables. These are stories that help betray the image. These are confronting political, social, and moral constructs of their day through story and imagery. And at the core of them, they are provocative. They they cause a reaction. They are straight to the point, and they cause a stir within the crowd. To zoom out a second, take a little bit of a step back, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels that portray the life of Jesus portrayed in different ways and different lights. Some portray him as the son of God or the servant. Each of them portray them in different ways. What's interesting about the book of Mark, which we are journeying through, is that the book of Mark mentions the word immediately over 40 times. That's more than any other, considerably more than any other gospel book recording. I think the reason is because there's something that the writer is trying to betray. There's something that he's trying to show us about what Jesus taught and what he did. He's saying that it draws people in and words like immediately draw straight into the text to make us understand that something is happening here that we need to take heed of. We need to understand and look at. And so we're going to zoom back in. If you have your Bibles, you'll see black Bibles on your seat. Why don't you turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 21. Mark, 20, Mark 4, verse 21. At this point, last week we chatted about it. Jesus was at a lake talking about parables and demonstrating the kingdom. And this is one of the many parables he shared in this instance in the chapter. So Mark 4, verse 21. What page? 6, 697 in the Black Bibles, if you're looking. So verse 21 reads this. He, being Jesus, said to them, Do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, or whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you, and even more. Whoever has been given more, sorry, Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they do have will be taken away. I'm going to read it in in the message translation because I feel it it catches something. And so Eugene Peterson puts it like this in the message. Jesus went on. 
Does anyone bring a lamp and put it under a wash tub or beneath a bed? Don't you put it on a table or on a mantle? We're not keeping secrets. We're telling them. We're not hiding things. We're bringing them out into the open. Are you listening? Really listening? Listen carefully to what I'm saying. And be wary of the shrewd advice that tells you to get ahead in this world on your own. Giving, not getting. Giving, not getting is the way. Generosity begets generosity and stinginess and poverty. There's two elements to this text. Quite a cryptic story that Jesus is trying to tell. It's quite the nature of parables. But there's two elements that I want to pick on this morning and expand on. It's the aspect that Jesus issues a warning. Somewhat of a, a warning of missing out. But he also issues on the other side of it a promise. A promise to those who actually here. See, darkness exists because light does not. It's a pretty simple thing to understand. If we turn off all lights in here, darkness will be around us. If we turn the lights on, it will come alive with light. Jesus previously referred to himself as the light of the world. I am the light of the world. You can see how these sort of statements from a man making these can draw a crowd and a bit of a ruckus. The current state of humanity has found itself in darkness. And as we've learned, people are crying out for a Messiah. They're crying out for someone to overrule the foreign reign that they're under. And Jesus is walking town to town, place to place, and he is ushering in the kingdom through both word and demonstration. What is the kingdom of God? In really simple form, the kingdom of God is where what God wants happens. He is the king of the kingdom, and what the king says happens, and what he wants happens. And he's beginning to speak of the kingdom of God that he is introducing to earth. By both word and deed, teaching and demonstrating, revealing the secrets of the kingdom that he is teaching on. And Jesus issues a warning to those who are actually hearing. Are you ready to hear? Are you truly listening? There's a, there's a study done in the United States recently that selective hearing, okay, so your ability to hear or not to hear is a genuine thing. So like, it's a medically talked about, I don't know what, I don't know how you decide that, but the ability to hear and not to hear is an actual thing. The first time I heard that, I was like, I don't believe that. But the truth of it is, is that it is most common like by a vast majority, I'm not going to even mention the percentages because I don't like saying it, but men, <laughs> we are really good at this. <laughs> we have the ability to hear and not to hear. Blessing or a curse, that's not for me to decide talk about. But we have the ability to hear what we want to hear and to discard what we don't want to hear. It's most commonly found in men. Women seem to be better at hearing everything. I can feel the sense that some wives are looking at their husbands right now saying, that's very interesting. There's something that's happening here when he's addressing the crowd. He says, are you listening? When I first read this text, I was like, everyone is around you right now because they want to hear what you have to say. Like, no one else is here just because everyone else is here. Like, they're here because of what you're saying. What, like, what is Jesus saying here when he's saying, are you are you really listening? Like, if I was in the crowd, I'd be like, of course I'm listening. Like, I'm here. Eugene Peterson says it three times. Are you listening? Really listening? And then goes on to say, listen carefully. See, what I think 
Jesus is talking about here is the difference between hearing and listening. We hear stuff all the time. We are inundated with sounds, conversations, comments, music, things all the time. We all hear them. But the ability to listen allows us to go beneath the surface of just hearing the immediate. It allows it to sink deeper beyond just words, but actually understanding it somewhat gets beneath the surface. N.T. Wright comments on this. He says, when we hear and don't truly listen, it never goes deep. We remain at a superficial level like the incomprehending crowds that lose their sense of God, doing something new in their midst, which they have at present. As soon as I read that quote, I was like, superficial is a bit of a strong word. Superficial is a pretty harsh, sharp word. I looked up the word superficial in a dictionary. Here's the dictionary definition of the word superficial. Existing or occurring at or on the surface. Existing or occurring at or on the surface. You see, if we listen but we don't truly hear, we risk remaining at the surface. We risk living and experiencing a superficial understanding of who Jesus is, not plugging to the depths of what he has invited us into. And the reality of that is we miss out because we lose a sense of God and his activity. We lose a grasp of actually his voice. We lose a grasp of that this isn't just an individual, but he longs to bring us into intimacy, into companionship, into conversation. And he longs for us to listen to the words that he has to say, the teachings that he taught, the deeds that he did. This isn't just surface level stuff. It's something that he wants to go beneath the surface because when we get to understand that, we get a new reality, the sense of God and his activity. You see, the truth is not only do we miss out, but our cities and our towns and our villages and our places and spaces that we interact every day miss out on our sense of understanding what God's doing in his activity. When we remain at the surface, we miss out. I don't want to hang out here too long, but the evidence of existing on the surface is, is kind of out there. I don't want to drag this out, but people mention all the time, church in the UK is in decline. People don't want to go to church because it's boring. People don't want to hear about Jesus because it's this, that, and the other. And the truth is, is I, can, I know nothing more boring than Christianity without Christ. When I say Christ, I mean the person, his teachings, and his deed, knowing him not just in theory or at surface, but with depth, with understanding and with relationship, with tangibility to it. You see, living life on the surface is a little bit like the shallow end of the swimming pool. A lot of noise, a lot of splashing, no swimming. Nobody wants to stay in the shallow end. Every one of us are built to swim. Perhaps one of the most devastating things moving on from this is the second warning that I think Jesus is talking about here. There's remaining at the surface and then there's actually going deep. But what if actually the real tragedy was to actually go deep but not understand why? To go deep but not actually have emotion that expresses that depth. It says in verse 24, consider carefully what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and even more. With the measure you use it, the depth, the understanding, it will be measured to you, and even more. There's an early church father by the name of Clement. It's a pretty cool name. Wouldn't come a sonnet, but... And he talks on this passage around this idea of a well. See, a well, when dug deep and connected to a source, will fill up with water. And when that well is used regularly, that water will pump by providing clean, nourishing water. 
but a well, even if it's dug deep and connected to a source, but it is not used regularly, eventually that water will go stale and all it will produce is pollution. Pumps are supposed to create and produce water. Light is supposed to shine, as Jesus is talking about this. And if we have depth, it is for a purpose. It is for an action. I want to issue a little bit of a spoiler alert. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, as we've learned in in previous weeks, and we will as we go on, this idea, this kingdom principle and idea around it of of stewardship is pretty much impossible to separate the kingdom and the idea of stewardship. They are hand in hand. Consistently through Jesus' teachings, if we look back a a few verses, we'll we'll hear about the soil and the seed. Stewardship is key and focal to understanding the nature of the kingdom. Jesus will go on to speak about this, and I don't think it's an accident. You see, if we don't use it, we lose it. If we don't use the depth, we lose it. If we don't use the water capacity that we have, it will only create pollution. If we don't use it, we lose it. If you eat food, if you eat a lot of carbs, which I love carbs, and when I get to heaven, I'm going to eat so many carbs because they're calorie-free in heaven, I think. So if you eat food and you don't exercise, you don't use that fuel, you'll lose the fuel source and it will just turn into fat. If you don't use it, you lose it. I think this is what Jesus is trying to, to touch on here. See, how we steward stuff potentially one of the most incredible ways to see the kingdom advance. Understanding the nature of stewardship will release a new realm of possibility of understanding and reality as we begin to engage in this thing called the kingdom in our everyday life. You see, the world says you get in what you put out. It's a very noble thought. And I feel that when I go to the gym. Get in. Well, actually, I don't. <laughs> a lot of work in, not many results. But you get in what you put out. Work, 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 get, get, get. Work, 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 get, get, get. But in the kingdom, it's not quite like that. See, in the kingdom, it's what you put in multiplies. What you get in somewhere in a sense of some supernatural activity, God works and moves in our obedience and our sacrifice, and he multiplies it. It's incredible. Eugene Peterson says this, generosity begots generosity. That pretty much means that generosity is the gift that keeps on keeps going see we're given a gift and the reason we're given a gift is to be givers we're given something so that we can pass it on and what happens when we begin to engage in the act of stewardship in the the act of passing it on what happens if we're a well is that source begins to fill us up afresh with new water deep within us afresh and anew and the beautiful truth of this is that you cannot outgive God you just can't. I dare you to try. You cannot outgive God. And so we're talking about, about wells. We're talking about stewardship. Some of you guys have wells of time, proactivity, of creativity, of dreaming and vision. Some of you guys have wells of finance and resource. Some of you guys have, have depths of connections and ideas and concepts that are, can introduce a new way of living and life of the kingdom here on earth. But honestly, when I was, when I was reading this, I was made really aware of, like, what about, what about the wells that we have that we never asked for? What about the wells that we have that we did nothing to want 
and they've just ended up. See, there's another kingdom principle that I want to touch on that happens in the concept of stewardship. Focal to the kingdom, central to the kingdom is this idea of transformation, supernatural transformation, redeeming power. It is focal to the message of Jesus and the story of the kingdom that is unraveling. That he does things that are beyond our wildest dreams and imagination. He brings resurrection to things that are dead. He brings life to things that are dead. He brings revitalization to things all around us. He is our redeemer and he longs to redeem. And maybe you're saying, all I have is well disappointment. All I have is well pain. All I feel right now is a well of confusion and hurt or pain or sickness. That's all I tend to feel is that well. I don't feel like I've got any other wells but that. Could it be possible that stewardship is not just for the great things, not just for what we think the good things, but what happens if it is actually for all of the areas of our life? What if the gospel message and the kingdom message is true, that he is turning all things around for our good, that his power is made perfect in our weakness? What if he longs to use even the more difficult wells in our life to produce incredible things? See, the transforming nature of the kingdom, and this is the truth, is that your depth of hurt turns into a flow of healing and your depth of disappointment turns into a flow of hope and your depth of confusion turns into a flow of clarity. Your depth of sickness turns into a flow of healing and the world around us and the cities in which we find ourselves are desperate, desperate for this flow. If we just allow it to release if we just allow God to take us deep, if we allow to go deep with him and give it to him, allow it to be released and poured out and watch what he does as we release our hands, as we don't try to hold on to it so tight that we choke life out of it, but we release it to him and say, do whatever you want to do to it. I want to steward it. I want to release it. I want to watch it multiply. I want to watch it transform into power and authority and destiny. I want to watch you unravel the kingdom around me cannot keep it to ourselves. Light is created to shine. Wells are created to produce water. Depth has a purpose. Don't just listen and hold back. I want to pray for some people this morning as we we come to a close. I want to pray for kind of a few of us. I want to pray for those who feel like they, they hear this stuff but they, they don't like they struggle to really listen. I pray this morning that your ears would open wide, that your, that your heart would open wide and you begin to hear fresh and anew the invitation of God our Father inviting you into the depths of your being, revealing to him the unlimited resource he has made available to us in the kingdom and to go deep with him. I feel like there's people here who feel like that's exactly true. I feel like my wells just don't serve much of a purpose right now. I want to invite resurrecting and redeeming power of Jesus in that moment. We'll then breathe life afresh and anew upon the parts that maybe you haven't even dared reveal or speak about in years. And whatever it looks like, we realize that light only shines through transparency. It cannot shine through anything else but transparency and actually releasing and letting down our guard and saying, I'm willing to let the depth come out and reveal it and watch it transform. So if you feel comfortable, Um, why don't you close your eyes and place your hand over your heart putting your hand over your heart is nothing significant sometimes what we do physically resembles what we're doing spiritually 
It's the health of matter for us. Let's pray. Father, would you open our ears to help us truly listen, to truly understand. We invite you into the depths right now. We no longer want to settle for the surface. We no longer want to settle for the shallow end, but we long to experience the vast, deep measure of your kingdom and the life that you have for us. We invite it now. We invite it now. And Father, we pray you breathe afresh right now upon hurt, upon pain, Lord, upon wells that have been locked up for so long, God, we pray the release right now in the kingdom that you would burst forth, Lord, that that flow would redeem and run mighty in this land. God, would you release a fresh power and authority right now? We welcome it, Jesus. We're desperate for it. Father, we long to see your kingdom come in this city. We long to see it come on earth as it is in heaven in Lisbon as it is in heaven so Father we pray that we become the most generous people here on earth Father we will be a light to our city that hope is here, that hope is near and so Father we pray you would loosen the hands of your people Father, would you breathe life upon what we have in our hands and would you multiply it? God, would you give us stories right now that would baffle us, that we will tell from generation to generation to generation that you wouldn't believe it unless you were there. God, we pray for the supernatural to become aware and hear that where your kingdom is, there also is your power and your presence. So we reveal it. God, would you turn situations around right now? God, would you redeem situations right now? Would you resurrect situations right now? God, would you speak afresh and anew? And God, we learn that we're not just looking at an empty tomb, but we're looking at a miracle. 